what you want to try and do is just stay on a steady path. You know, you don't want to have these massive highs and then these massive lows. You kind of just want to stay steady and allow yourself to have sort of bad days. You know, don't get too down on yourself that, you know, your routine didn't kick in or whatever, or you ate a block of chocolate and you know you weren't supposed to. Just start again. Just don't have two bad days in a row, you know? Okay, Lima, no no massive introductions on this podcast. This is just two people sitting down having conversations. We had a, a little brief chat before I pushed record. One of the things that we've already highlighted is that we forget, eh, bro, that we're all just humans, that we're all just people, that we have to, you know, eat, sleep, find meaning, find love. There's something about what happens to people who get to this level of wearing a uniform, you know, like a, a rugby jersey or, you know, a, a uniform in some way that people forget we're actually all people. And what I love about, you know, our thing was happening here is that, you know, I just message you, you message me back and, and like in the next five minutes, you'll go and do some cooking. So bro, I just want to thank you for being open to um, sharing, you know, the true authentic side. Yeah, no, nah, no worries. I mean, I guess, I guess for me, it's pretty easy to sort of be open and honest now. It's sort of, I've been a professional rugby player for going going on eleven years, I think. Yeah, hidden hidden until twelve years. So, I mean, I've I've taken a lot of learnings. Uh, there's been a lot of ups and downs, and you know, curves, and you know, there's been a few mountain tops in in between, and definitely a lot of valleys, but. Uh, yeah, I guess now I, th- I think I'm more at peace with myself and, and sharing more of myself and I know who I am as a person and I know what I'm about. So, uh, yeah, I guess when I get to sort of sit down with someone and, you know, someone I've never met before, um, you know, you just take it for what it is and, you know, not everybody's going to like what I have to say and that's fine and, and, and some people are going to find something from it and, and that's also cool as well. And, you know, I hope so, I hope a little kid uh, does, or you know, someone who's in a dark sport does. But for me, you know, it's it's pretty stock standard. Just be a good human, and um, you know, uh, it kind of all comes around. Yeah, bro, hundred percent. And like that's a perfect outlook how I look at the world as well. Because people always say, you know, when you get your guests, do you have questions? And I'm like, no, not really. And they're like, how do you do it? And I'm like, well, imagine a scenario where nature provides you a way of connecting with people you know and you just talk and something beautiful comes out of that and that's why like I'm a real fan of these type of conversations because it's just two people trying to make it work and I, I think that's it really that you know you look at relationships or you parenting it's like just trying to make it work and everything gets in the way but at the end of the day you know you just got to try and like suss it out hey bro I read online um that you missed one of the All Black tests to go for your baby's birth. I don't want to go into detail, but my question was: Did you was that a hard decision to make? No, nah, it was the easy one. You know, like it's a no brainer. You're, you're, this is your first child that you're ever gonna have. You know, like, mm. and you know, I think at the time it was just kind of like a bit of perspective in my life. Whereas in New Zealand, I was in a bit of a bubble. You know, the All Blacks is pretty. You know, it's a big thing back home and it can it can sort of consume you and if you get caught up in it, it can t- 
take up a big part of your life, but um, definitely having a kid really sort of mellowed that out for me, and it was it was a no brainer. There was there was going to be no chance. I I wanted to you know play a rugby game over seeing the birth of my child come into the world. So it was yeah. I think to be fair, I think most people would 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 choose their children over work. You know, a mm. hundred you know hundred times out of a hundred. Hundred percent, and I think what's interesting though is if you don't say that or we don't hear that, we might imagine that this all black myth becomes more powerful than anything. You know, almost like a religion, eh, bro? You know, like there's a real like sense of this overarching thing, and not in a bad way. But I like that you're like, nah, man, it was a simple decision. I had a baby, and I'm gonna do that, and. I just think it's really clear for anyone watching, even those little kids you were talking about who tune in, oh, cool, I'm going to see, you know, I'm a fan of yours. But then they hear that and they're like, oh, so I've got to put family first. That makes sense. Um, I'm just conscious of time. Five minutes, you've got to go do some cooking. So should we pause for a sec? And I'm happy to wait. Yeah, yeah, just give me five and I'll uh, I'll be back in a jiff. In a, in a All right. Sorry, bro. No, you're um, right. It's perfect. I'm going to go to an ad break. Back in a sec with Lima. Okay, we're back, Lima. What's on? What's on? Uh, what's for dinner tonight? What are you? What are you cooking up, bro? Because you sounded busy when you were um, in the in the kitchen hustling. Oh, bro, I'm actually a little bit embarrassed, man. Nah, it's um, it's actually just a they, they call it a Boston chop over here, but it's maybe I can about. So all it is is a ribeye with a bone, and and I've just reverse seared it. So it was in the oven for like forty minutes, and then you give it, give it a quick blast on the on the hob, sort of high, and then uh, yeah, bit of garlic butter, bit of rosemary on top, and just kind of let it sit. Hopefully, it comes out a little bit medium rare. So yeah, yeah we'll see how we'll see how it goes. But that's what all the commotion was about, bro. So. I was looking at That's the camera right. like, oh man, I need to get the film. It's a waste of my, it's a waste of cake. <laughs> it's all good. Like we can edit it all up. So it, it'll be crack up. And again, it, it fits the brief, you know, like the mind blowing stuff that I refer to isn't just about the extraordinary. It's about the normal as well. And the fact that we can just kind of sit comfortably in a world where, cause you know, like, I don't know, you, you spend a bit of time online too, man, if you look at social media, it paints a pretty dark picture of our world, you know, like I, we quickly get into these bubbles and these echo chambers and I don't know, like what's your sense of the real world? Do you think most people are still like us, bro? And they're just interested in trying to make it work. Cause when you look online, it's pretty dark. eh? Yeah, I, I think so. I think people are still um, interested in genuine relationships. And I think that's important to have in your life. Um, but there are also people out there who solely live online and I've met people in that space who online they're this person and then you meet them in real life and you're like, hey, this is weird. Like you talk to me online, but I meet them in person and you don't even say hello. Like, mm. you know, so I, I think sometimes uh, social media can sort of distort your image of a person, whereas um, you might see them in this particular light and, you know, they might be brash or cocky or, or whatever. And then you meet the person and you're like, damn, I was wrong about that person or, you know what I mean? So I, I think it's, I think it's a double-edged sword. It, it, it's just the, the way you got to look at it. And 
And probably at the start of my career, you know, I was we were coming into social media and that's probably when I took everything on there really personally and I mm. was worried about all the articles being written and I was worried about what random people were saying. But now it's just like if someone wants to slag you off and message you, you know, sometimes I just like to have a bit of fun with it and banter back and, you know, just, just laugh it off because really those people don't really matter in your mm. life. Mm. Um, so, yeah, that's, that's sort of my take on it. And and as this transition to this, you know, this digital version of us has gone up, was there any like um, training for you or, you know, players and stuff like that? And I mean, for everyone in business as well, it's like we've had to learn as we go, um, particularly in this world of social media. Do, did you and the other guys just have to kind of navigate that um, whole other world between you? Yeah, exactly. You know, we just we just learned on the go, you know, what what to say, what not to say. And, mm. you know, I, I think it's sort of, a, you know, how Facebook does those those uh, memories or whatever, um, and and it takes you back to like a status that you wrote when you were 10, like 10 mm. years ago, and you're just like, oh, my gosh, what was <laughs> I thinking? Like, did I really write that? You know, you know, and back then, you know, some of the things that you could write back online, you know, like, it, it, it was sort of like that was okay. Well, mm. you know, but today and today's society, you can't say that stuff. And um, I guess, yeah, we, we've been lucky to sort of learn it. And and I just look at that, for example, and I'm just like, man, um, you know, the world's really transformed and it's moved pretty quickly, which is, you know, probably a good thing. And I, I think it's helped. Um, I think the internet has helped accelerate a lot of, issues and bring to light a lot of things that were probably kept in the dark and maybe help out a lot of um, sort of movements and, and things like that, I, th- I think. A hundred percent. And, and one of the things I try and tell myself is, you know, it is good that movements and things don't get kept in the shadow, but it also puts a lot of responsibility on everyone to know a lot more. You know, one of the conversations I had with my dad when I was growing up was I said, dad, what do you want to be when you grow up? And he's like, mate, I could be two things, you know, I could be like an accountant or a builder or something like that. And I was like, far out. I, I said, oh, I said to him, you know, was that, was that good? And he's like, oh, I loved it, you know, because I didn't have to worry about a lot. And when I think about us, you know, whether you're twenties, thirties, forties, there's a lot to consider, you know, in this world. And, and it's, uh, I just try and tell myself it's okay not to not, you know, there's a lot going on and it's okay not to have to solve everything, you know, because sometimes you can't. And it's really pushed me down a path of, you know, like the podcast again, it's just us talking. But another thing I've been focusing on is what are some simple things that we can all do that will over time make our life better, like breathing, you know, during lockdown, I did a certificate, um, and breathing and how to and did some research and nasal breathing and the calming effects and i was blown away bro by how effective that stuff is just because it's simple um when you in the sports environment and it's a very physical world have is there much emphasis on the mental skills stuff or you know um how to recover kind of mentally physically after these huge clashes or is it still very much a physical world you know rugby no, nah, the the game has definitely changed uh, from when sort of I entered the league in sort of 2010. So sort of 2010, what we're 
2020 now, so 10 years has passed, and I definitely think there's there's more emphasis on mental health, mental well-being, mm-hmm. um, the power of you know the brain, and and how that kind of steers where you want to go physically and mentally. If you're not right upstairs, then you know you you're pretty much screwed a little bit um, mm-hmm. if you don't take care of that. You know, because it, it's as easy as a as a rugby player, you can you know you can lift weights, you can get faster, you can you know, lose weight, gain weight, and all, you know, you can see those things, but you can't see what's going on between someone's ears. Mm-hmm. And that's probably, I think the game is growing. And definitely at our club this year, we've had a mental skills um, coach um, brought into the team. And, uh, you know, with the All Blacks, they have Gilbert Anoka, who, who who's pretty awesome. So, yeah, I've, I've been lucky to be, Around some of the, the the smartest minds in in that in that aspect around sort of getting your your mental well-being in check and making sure that you're working your brain as much as you're working your biceps and your triceps and things like that. Yeah. Beautiful. Uh, we'll go to a quick break. And for us, we're just going to carry on. But for everyone watching, watch some adverts. When we come back, Lima, I'd love to just um, maybe if we could dip into some of those tactical tools. And maybe they're not like really in depth, but just so people, if they're Googling, they can say, oh, I didn't know that I needed to do box breathing or something like that. So stay with us, everybody. Back in just a tick. Awesome. So before the break, kind of, um, you know, talking about the how the kind of games pivoted as life has too, right? Life is not just this physical shell anymore. We know that if you don't look after down, upstairs, downstairs kind of, you know, goes into chaos. So you were mentioning um, and you would have been, you know, obviously with Gilbert Anoka and those type of people around. Um, one of the things that I think is amazing is that those skills exists one of the things i think is a as a challenge to work on is everyone should know them you know these aren't secrets that uh that should be held everyone should know them uh, are there a couple general principles bro from the stuff you've learned maybe for the the mental game um that you'd be happy to kind of share so people can look into and and um i guess do research on their own yeah i think something that's really come up and um a lot over the years is is your routine and how your routine affects what you do. So, for example, you know, you might get up in the morning at, at six o'clock in the morning and have a cold shower or do some push-ups. It's, it's, it's those kind of, you know, and then have a good breakfast. It's those kind of things that sort of allow you to get on with your day and 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 keep your your day fine i'm not saying that you have to go out and run a marathon every morning but you have to be able to sort of follow something that works for you and and the emphasis on what works for you so if getting up at 6 a.m doesn't work for you don't do it just because you know all these other people say they do it you know your thing might be okay i'm going to get up at 8 a.m and that might just help your mental health you know and then that might allow you to be a better person but there's no point in coming up with this routine that either a you can't stick to or b doesn't help you for the rest of the day so i definitely think that's probably been something that i've really um 
taken on board as, as a bit of routine and it's chopped and changed over the years. And, um, you know, I, I tweak it, you know, almost weekly, you know, I sort of have a look at things, what did work, what didn't work. And, and you're not always going to get it right. You're not always going to be perfect. Sometimes I, I go through sort of, you know, bad routines where I'm like, oh, okay, I'm supposed to wake up at six, so I'll hit the alarm, I'm going back to sleep, you know? Mm. You know, you're going to go like that, as, but what you want to try and do is just stay on a steady path, you know? You don't want to have these massive highs and then these massive lows. You kind of just want to stay steady and allow yourself to have sort of bad days, you know? Don't get too down on yourself that, you know, your routine didn't kick in or whatever, or you ate a block of chocolate and you know you weren't supposed to just start again just don't have two bad days in a row you know allow mm. yourself to to live a little and don't beat yourself up I think that's probably one of the biggest things I've been able to learn over sort of my time is just that as routine is crucial for me yeah but that might not be something you just got to do um you know what works for you as an individual yeah, no, I love it, man. That's it's awesome. You know, like I sit here and I think, yeah, that all makes sense. And then I look at the spectrum of conversation, either online, on television, and bro, I never hear that. You know, I hear from people who talk to me like they've got their A game on infinity, you know, and what you're saying is that it's a rhythm and it's a cycle and you've got to feel yourself and make it work. And and the key thing is you got to make it work for you, which I think lots of people need a reminder of that you can't outsource your well-being, you know, that it requires a bit of this and a bit of that. And I mean, it's the it's the age old uh, question of what is meaning and what are those things. And I think it's in what you're saying you know like try and make as many days add up to something good and if you can do that you'll at least sit back and think sweet you know because it's hard eh, bro i guess that's the thing we want to think life is we forget how hard life is i think and that and i try not to say that in a negative way i mean plenty of people watching and listening they're going through a you know horrific time at the moment but there is you have to have hope and and i guess one of the things man is like you know what? Where do you find your hope, bro? And again, I'm not trying to pry too deep in, but I just feel it's important on your darker days, on the days where a decision doesn't go your way. What's your bigger why? I guess mine's mine's pretty easy because I've I, I'm a father now, so it's probably my two my two daughters and, and my partner, and just trying trying to um, be the best I can for them because. You know, I, I can't stay down too long because I've got two young kids who who are relying on their dad to, you know, make sure that there's a roof over their head and make sure they got food. And, you know, they don't know it now because they're only three and 17 months. But, you know, there's, I think when, when I look at it and I think of the opportunities um, I have and what I've been able to work towards now, I, I think there's a lot of gratitude in that because I know what it's like to not have so much. And, and I know there are people out there who, who aren't afforded the same opportunities as, as myself and, and my kids and, and my partner. And so I, I, I definitely think of, of, of those people a lot, uh, you know, because I think sometimes, uh, you know, you look at a problem and you think it's the be all and end all and, you can flick on the TV or look on, you know, 
on the internet and you're just like, actually, man, I'll take, I'll take those problems back in a heartbeat because mm. there, there definitely are people going through a lot worse out there. And so, you know, a bit of gratitude definitely goes a long way. But yeah, my why is definitely those two girls and trying to give them the opportunities that my parents weren't able to give me, um, even though they gave the absolute best. But um, yeah, now it's now it's my opportunity to sort of um, take that the opportunity I've been afforded and make sure that uh, my kids are able to, uh, you know, achieve and and try and get the most out of life. I think. Mm. hey bro we'll just go to a quick break but when we come back you mentioned a bit about family it's something i think about quite a bit in terms of my pacific heritage the sacrifices people made to give me the opportunity to sit in my garage and talk to you you know just the fact that i can today and and i try really hard to think man because you know as i mentioned and you might pick up i i'm someone who kind of deeply thinks about things and that's a good and a bad thing but i think like what the heck are we doing you know what are we moving towards and and i kind of thought well maybe part of the gift that our people who suffered so we could have a bit more uh gave us was so that we could dream and keep thinking and work out how to you know sit in the kitchen like you're doing and cook and do a podcast at the same time and share all of these things and and actually that makes me think good because you know it can feel a bit disappointing when (laughs) if i think back a few generations the the crap that they went through just so that we could have a bit more and um yeah. So anyway, when we come back, it would be awesome just um, to to dip in, like you know, what's your family story? Uh, yeah. Um, and um, yeah, just where does you know ancestral and stuff like that, if that's cool with you. So stay with us, team. Back with Lima in just a sec. Where's your family from, bro? Where? How do um? How do they find their way to New Zealand, etc.? Yeah, so um, I'm half Samoan, half Cook Island. Uh, my both of my set of grandparents, you know, jumped on the old boat and, and made their way made their way to New Zealand. And um, I wasn't uh, lucky enough to meet my my granddad on my dad's side, who's Samoan, but um, my grandmother's still alive, and she's my only grandparent. So they ended up migrating to to Wellington, and then my mum's parents ended up somehow in Dunedin and yeah my parents are obviously uh fourth generation so they were uh born in, in New Zealand but their parents were obviously from the island and yeah I guess for my parents they were sort of brought up in the in the dawn raid era and we all know what, what that is what that is like for a lot of Polynesians um you know it's not something that's sort of well taught in in schools but if you dig deep into it you can see sort of the atrocities that that happened through the, through that and I think maybe that that sort of played a an effect and to the way that you know my parents sort of raised me and yeah when I when I think of my grandmother and and talking to her and she uh, tells a story how she you know, jumped on a boat and came to Wellington and didn't know anybody and couldn't speak the language yeah I, I kind of say you know, you know, like, what, what would that have been like that? Like, I try to 
thinking for myself and in, in her shoes and yeah she I think she she said she was 18 years old maybe when she when she came to when she came to New Zealand and I was just saying man you didn't know anyone you didn't speak the language or anything and now you're here and you know sort of she's 81 now and uh she's got multiple grandchildren uh she's even a great grandmother you know so I'm I'm just like far out you you came on a boat for the hope that maybe down the line this place would be able to give those generations the opportunity to do something and thrive and mm. do things that she could have never dreamed of. So yeah, yeah, I, I find it crazy now. And I, I just think as a second generation um, born Islander, I think it's, you know, it's our duty to, you know, not waste this opportunity. Um, obviously my parents gave me everything that they, they could. And, you know, it's not like we went without, but it wasn't, you know, things were, things were definitely tight at home. And for a lot of, for a lot of my friends anyway, uh, a lot, you know, we, we were all in the same boat, but, you know, we're here now and we have this opportunity to sort of move the next generation forward. And, mm. and, and that's what I think about when I, when I sit here and, and talk about sort of family, I just think of of those times when my grandmother probably didn't have much and, you know, my mum and dad really didn't have much. It was all so that the, the generation to come after them will have the opportunities that we do today. So I think okay. if we if we squander it then it's a it's a bit of a slap in the face to to those who have who have paved the way. So Harder, yeah, we'll, we'll see what life goes up. Mm. Yeah, I, I think it's just a, a great opportunity. And I've been trying to process it in the world of maybe they, they did the physical voyage and maybe where we can kind of, and maybe our journey is destined for some type of mental voyage, you know, where we talk about how do you um, – how do you keep pushing forward in that space? And that's one of the things I'm very passionate about. Like I explained to you that, you know, one third of Pacifica doesn't have access to all the coolest stuff. So the fact that we can play on Freeview means we're bringing high caliber guests and information and content to the audience that really needs it, you know, and that's just what I think. And even if that's, you know, just my thought, I still like the idea then we're getting millions of hits on YouTube to probably people who it's just cluttering their day anyway, you know? So it's kind of something beautiful about us trying to find our journey. Um, just a kind of question, cause it's fascinating for me was, um, and probably lots of people out there when rugby started going well, what was that like for your family? Like were, was that like a, um, you know, I can, my, my dad's brother, he was an all black in 1978. And it's like a re, that's the European side of my family. And it's hilarious because we all go duck shooting and he made the all blacks. 
on the night of duck shooting. So, of course, everyone was at the Mai Mai, you know, and he had to catch a taxi from Hamilton all the way out to Narawahia, brought fish and chips. Everyone was drunk, sleep, and, like, he reckons he walked in and said, hey, I made the All Blacks, and, like, his dad sat up and said, good boy, and went back to sleep. And that's the story that kind of galvanized um, this massive moment for him. What was that like for you, bro? It was a dream I talked about since I was five years old to my parents, you know. I, I think that was all that I really wanted to do. And I remember ringing them because we had just played the Chiefs in a quarterfinal in 215 and they had driven down from from Wellington, you know, caught the ferry or whatnot and driven all the way down. And then on the Sunday, the team was getting named. So they were on the road. And, yeah, I just remember ringing them and, and kind of just telling my old man and I, I remember my mum and dad being my mum and sisters kind of like screaming and being happy and my dad was my dad you know he was he was pretty <laughs> staunch I think and it's hard to know what he was feeling you know I, I, I'm, I'm sure he, I'm sure he felt some type of way about it but you know he's just as proud of me as he as he is all his other you know five other kids but yeah, I think they were they were just stoked and um yeah, so same with my brothers and sisters, it was it was a kind of a moment where, you know, we always talk about it, if one makes it, we all made it. And mm. and that's kind of what it was for us. You know, I got to I got to enjoy the the spoils of a of a dream come true, but everybody was able to enjoy that ride as well. And and so I th- I think wherever I go, I always sort of carry those guys with me, uh, mm. no matter what. And and that's really important to me. And I know because the All Blacks are like a club and you gotta earn your way there, I don't dare kind of pry too deep. But the question I've got and we'll move on from there is did the your first hucker is that galvanized in your memory? Is that something because you know it's a lot of Kiwi kids' dreams imagining that moment. Um do you do you remember the feelings, the energy or the nervousness? Yeah, it's funny because um, we had to do the new we had to do the new haka. So everybody knows Kumate, you know, like everybody knows it, like every kid. But we had to do the new one, and I was like, on the day of the game, I was actually on YouTube. Like, what? I was more nervous about doing the haka than I was about playing the game. Like, I was <laughs> watching awesome. clips of YouTube, and I was just like, oh man, I was, like I remember sitting there, like honestly, it was really like. Just before lunch, it would have been, I reckon, about 30 minutes. And I was just, just replayed the clip, replayed the clip. And that was what I was most nervous about heading into my test match, was doing the haka. And <laughs> the feeling that it gave me was, was, was unbelievable. But, you know, you do the haka and then I was just like, yeah, okay, we're ready to go to war now. And mm. that was that. And we ended up doing well at first test and we won. So, yeah. happy days. Yeah, bro, that's awesome. That's a cool story. Those are those gems of stories that no one would consider. No one ever thinks that because that's not the reality for most people. But to know that's like that my uncle's story, you know, these big moments, but they're they're humored with real life. You know, you YouTubing and you probably couldn't even practice it because you'd feel weird. So you just have to watch it, watch it and and just, you know, go through the stuff in your mind. It's a uh, it's hilarious. There's probably going to be a study one day that part of the All Blacks' success is that 
probably everyone's freaked out about the haka and doing it properly. And it probably is like mindfulness keeps you targeted on one zone. So you're not thinking about the future or maybe, I don't know. Cause I know the stuff I'm looking at with neurology talks about, you know, this, there's ways of kind of making your mind work so that you're not exhausted, you know? And um, yeah, something interesting there, bro. So I've got to kind of apologize because normally this podcast is, uh, well 40 minutes an hour in television but we <laughs> it's weird you're like a really big guest and i want to cut it short because over the next few weeks i'm going to be featuring in the last segment the a, a fella called tongan robin hood and he's a guy in new zealand who's helping tongan overstayers with um just like you know COVID's hard for everyone but imagine if you don't have visa access to wins access to money and there's 2000 um over um, tongan overstays in auckland and there's this one guy and i managed to get in touch with him so every week we're going to catch up and he's going to give me the rundown so i don't mean to kind of like cut us off short but um yeah man i just want to thank you for taking time and um, going back and forward with me from the uk trying to make this all work bro it's um it's been a blast to just sit down and have a yarn no no worries man that's actually a pretty cool story now that you mention it it's it's kind of like a funny one um on the tongan robin hood we actually well the tongan boys there's two tongans on our team uh sione and malakai and one day we had a we had a pig on the spit at my house and uh you know the boys are going hard so they're sitting there you know like seven hours they can just sit there doing that you know i'm just like bro don't you get a score they're just like oh make sure you keep in the beard and i'm just like oh here we go so he's, like, he's, got this and he's, um, he's he's actually come to germany for the first time because he's really good on the gap and uh what's happened is is he COVID is hit and he can't get back to Tonga. So he's stuck here, bro. And he doesn't speak a word of English. Like, yeah, nothing at all. And this is his first time out of Tonga. And so, like, that story, I'm just like, oh, man, that's that's crazy that you say it. But, you know, he's just kind of bouncing around sort of the Tongan community. He was with Mala for a bit. He was with Sione for a bit. And now he's just kind of bouncing around and, you know, it's starting to come to winter. And I'm sure someone who grows up in Tonga doesn't know what an English winter's like. You know what I mean? So, Man is in for a rude awakening. <laughs> well, I can send him uh, Tom and Robin Hood's email if he can help. Um, is that kind of hilarious, bro, when you're doing the pig spit in your backyard and, like, do the neighbours look over? Because I'm imagining, you know, Brits looking at, like, first of all, a pig on a fire on a spit. That must be hilarious. <laughs> yeah, my, my neighbour actually mentioned that to me the other day. Uh, because it was kind of during lockdown, and he's like, mate, what the, what the F have you guys got going on over there? Like, what's all the smoke? I look over, and you guys are cooking this pig. I'm like, bro, you should have come around for a feed. I was like, I was going to invite you, but I actually thought you might have been angry. Uh, awesome, bro. All right, we'll wrap it up. Um, just for everyone watching, I'm going to do an exclusive little bit with Lima just for a couple minutes for Patreon. So you can zip over to Patreon if you want to catch up a bit more. But look, Lima, thanks again. We're going to wrap up the TV part here. I really appreciate it, bro, and look forward to chatting again soon. Okay, everyone, welcome back from the break. So during the Lima Sopoanga podcast, I mentioned that we are 
cutting that short because I wanted to bring you this this uh, emerging story. And the guest I have joining me via the internet is the Tongan Robin Hood. And as soon as I heard that name, I was intrigued as to what does that really mean? So we're going to go into this over the next few weeks. But in short, this is a person who is in the community, serving the community, but maybe the community that you're not aware of, people who are overstayers, people who don't have everything you do. So with that, I welcome the Tong and Robin Hood. Welcome to my podcast. How are you, my friend? Good, uh, William, and uh, thank you for the opportunity to, 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 um, to get interviewed on your uh, podcast. Uh, Malo Apito, William, for doing that. Yeah, you're welcome. And it's really, uh, it's as enlightening for me as it will be for the audience. Let's just start because we've got a few weeks together in this last segment of the podcast to explore this ongoing story of, of life as an overstayer in Aotearoa. Would you first just outline your story and how you became known as the Tom and Robin Hood? Yeah, William, it, it, um, it started back in 1987. At the time, I was working for the um, IRD, the Inland Revenue Department. And again, uh, most uh, New Zealanders will, will recall that this is the time when we moved away from the, uh, the so-called uh, uh, social welfare state towards the, uh, the neoliberalism that we're facing today. Uh, see, I, I, would, I would go beyond my normal call of duty to, to make sure that the, the poor taxpayers, especially the Pacific Islanders, they would get maximum tax refunds. You know, I, I found some, some loopholes, etc. So I did my part to make sure that, that I can get each taxpayer, or especially the poor ones and vulnerable and disadvantaged, maximum refunds. And, and I would, um, you know, I, I had a, a, a close uh, work friend uh, from Fiji, and, and he, would, he would often say to me, hey, Tong and Robin Hood, be careful. We don't want to get you, uh, we, don't, we don't want you, uh, you know, to, to get into trouble. So, yeah, the concern was there, but yet I played within the gray area. Uh, of course, um, you know, you're under oath uh, to, to the, to the uh, uh, crown and, and you have to protect it. But on the other hand, you also have an obligation to, to the community. And, and hence, I, I had to to play within the grade to just make sure that I, I did my part to help uh, poor uh, taxpayers. And, and, and back in 1987, there was also an amnesty for overstayers. At the time, we had an influx of, of uh, Tongans coming to New Zealand in 1986. So a year later, uh, there was a need for, for an amnesty. And yes, we did get an amnesty. And um, I, would, I would also use up all my, my sick leave, even applied for for leave without pay, in order to, to go and, and file these applications for these overstayers uh, to become permanent residents of New Zealand. Now, look, 33 years later, I'm, I'm back at it and, uh, you know, in the process of, of um, putting through applications for, uh, for overstayers. Some might be shocked that for 33 years, there still are people in New Zealand, particularly from our Pacific who can't call New Zealand officially home. Could you please explain to us the, the scope of what many people in the Pacific and of other cultures might not be aware of in the, in the Tongan overstaying community? 
it's 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 sad to to talk about this, William. But if we go back to the 1970s, you know that the dawn rates uh, policy of um, of the 1970s was shocking, of especially how our Pacific Island overstayers were, were were treated. You know the immigration and the police coming out and busting doors down. You know they have the dogs and and that wasn't good. You know that that's uh, that that is something that we can. Uh, Think back and, and hope that it never happens again. Eh? Uh, but but again, uh, William, we we have people uh, who well, I guess uh, uh, overstay our families. They've been here over ten years. Some have been here for over uh, twenty years. Eh? And, and uh, look, uh, we can call them uh, well settled, even though they're overstaying. So a lot of them they've they've somehow uh, find work. And, and uh, you know, they've been paying taxes all these years and they're good citizens, they're law-abiding, except for, for overstaying. So I guess I, I don't want to put them in the same box as criminals. You know, you got criminals like, like uh, people who commit murders and, and drug dealing and all that. I, I don't feel that uh, the overstayers should, should be boxed up with them, you know, because look, they're, they're only... Are in search of a better life, and and that's why they come to New Zealand. You know, most most of them uh, back home in Tonga, there isn't any future for them. So they see New Zealand is 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 the land of opportunity, and hence they've they've come across. So it, it is um it is sad that uh, you know with the COVID nineteen, it's a whole new uh, world. So yeah, it's a it's a sad state to, to know that the overstayers are. Uh, are very vulnerable and, and they're not looked after. And that's where you come in, the community advocate. But it's not just you, is it? There's many people standing up in the community to offer support. And you mentioned before that, that look, just because maybe on paper everyone isn't uh, equal, that does not mean that these people are not important. They are in New Zealand and, you know, they have Kiwi families and I guess what is also people should consider when they hear and watch this is that if you thought COVID was hard for you because COVID has been challenging, but you had lots of things. When I say us, I mean the people registered in New Zealand had access to many more advantages. So from the families um, you've been trying to help, COVID has been a horrible time as well, right? We, we can, uh, you know, go back to, to uh, um, March the 25th at 11.59, when the, the whole country was put under level four lockdown. You know? And, and, and uh, the very next day, the 26th of March, you know, I, I was going through, my, my, my mind was saying, hey, how about the overstayers? So, so quickly, I put a notice out there on Tonga News Hub, and it did get out to the community. And towards the end of that notice, okay, the main aim of the notice, was to make sure that our Tongan community, they are connected to all the social service providers, you know, like the final water providers. However, the overstayers, was, they were falling through the gap. And we can understand that, that the overstayers are living in fear. You know, so they, they will not call a service, or majority anyways, they will not call service providers and give their full name, uh, et cetera. So, so hence they were falling through, and I had overstairs calling me, 
and crying out for help. Now, William, what, what is heartbreaking is this. These are families, right? and there's a lot of children involved. And some of those, ch those children were born here, yet they're still overstayers. And, and the thought was this, you know, I, I just could not imagine, you know, children going to sleep on an empty stomach. So I acted quickly, William. You know, I, I um, look, we were under level four lockdown. So, so I had to be flexible. I would deliver food packs to the overstairs just to make sure that they get something to eat. You know, during that, that, that very hard time of the initial level four lockdown. So, so hence, um, William, I, I made it a goal. I mean, I'm, I'm still studying, you know, I'm studying law, politics, and media at the uh, University of Auckland. And then on the other hand, you have the overstairs crying out. So there was a dilemma right there. Should I concentrate on my studies or should I prioritize the overstairs? You know, there's a bit of a dilemma there, but then we can talk more about that in, in the upcoming episode. But, but back to, to, to where, you know, we're at, you know, even, even now, you know, we still need to provide uh, support, including uh, food packs to the overstayers. Because I, I believe, William, that every child has the right to be nourished. Whether that child is a, is a New Zealand citizen or a permanent resident or an overstayer, yeah? they have a basic human right to be nourished. So our time's nearly up for this episode. Maybe what we do is we um, highlight that in the coming weeks, we're going to catch up once a week and we're going to do this so we can uh, tell the developing story, tell some of your story as well. I'm very interested in the little boy from Tonga who's growing up to sacrifice some of his own dreams to help um, our future generations but there's people in the community who are also helping right it's not just you you've been able to um, be supported by good people is that correct yes William and first up you know a big thank you to Sir Michael Jones and the, the village um, uh, community services trust in Devondale they were first to come on board to make sure that we can get food supplies out to the overstairs Secondly, Dave Letelle and BBM, they've also come on board to help the overstairs. And then just recently, we had a company called Kiwi Harvest. They've also come on board. So a, a big uh, thank you to, to, uh, to, to these people who, who are coming on board. And you know, once people see the, the two stories that was run by TV1, uh, which is Tangata Pacifica, and also TV3, the project, those two stories, um, you know, can really influence people to 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 find the the the, the compassion to help. And even with this episode or, or this podcast, William, we're looking forward to some of your um, uh, audience, uh, you know, stepping up to the plate to to help the uh, the, the Tong and Robin Hood. So, where's the easiest way if people are interested to follow up, to contribute, to learn more? What can they do today? If, if you want to get in touch with the Tong and Robin Hood, you can easily find him on Facebook because he is the only uh, Tong and Robin Hood on Facebook. So facebook.com forward slash Tong and Robin Hood. Uh, otherwise, uh, hashtag uh, uh, pathways to residency also on Facebook. 
And and finally, um, uh, William, there's an also there's also an email. So it's simple. It's tonganrobinhood at gmail.com. Perfect. Well, thank you for joining us and sharing. And I know we've been talking about a lot back and forth about the right tone, but where we've captured this and we're going to share this. And what I will say is this is an ongoing story. So think about the overstayers. Their story is ongoing too. So it's a little bit about solutions for now. And as the story goes forward, it's these bigger solutions, which everyone can be part of. Um, thank you, Tom, Tong and Robin Hood, for joining us. And thanks, everybody, for watching. And we'll see you in the next episode.